This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and this week we are looking at Mission to Burnley, the Sky four-part documentary which is currently taking the world of football by storm. Okay, maybe it's not, but it's definitely an interesting look, one for Burnley fans to reminisce over a very, very strange 12-month period. The camera started rolling when Sean Dyche was relieved of his duties at the back end of the last Premier League season and it follows through that summer through ALK's um, mission to rebuild Burnley and to get us back in the Premier League. Vincent Company coming in, a whole new wave of generation of players coming in. We binge watched the show and we're going to give you our reaction to it. So let's go. And in order to go through this episode, I am joined this week by regular panellist George Poole. George, welcome, welcome. Good evening. I'm just about getting my sleeping pattern back to usual after the night spent watching Mission to Burnley. So okay. Things <laughs> you do for this back. podcast, you are. And of course, my favourite, obviously, Rich Steele. Rich, welcome. Hi, Natalie. Hello, listeners. Uh, tuning in from a not-so-sunny cavern in Ireland. This Indeed. Evening. We are international yeah. this week, uh, much as uh, our board now are. So let's kick straight off. Um, George, let's kick us off with your... Over, obviously, you said up all night late into the night to binge watch this for us. Um, try to avoid the spoilers in the group chat while we all caught up. When you finished watching it, what was your overwhelming feeling? What was your immediate reaction? Um, I was incredibly tired. It was half past seven in the morning, so I've been <laughs> on that. But other than that, other than that, it was more just um enjoyment i suppose it, it's just it's it's more than anything more than all the details we'll go into in the in this podcast is is the the bizarre nature of the fact that burnley were featured in something like this to see burnley on my on my sky account with cameras yeah. not just you know on on the pitch but also in the dressing room and in the boardroom it was just bizarre more than anything it felt like i was on the truman show or something so <laughs> really uh, came away with a sense of enjoyment but that doesn't mean there, there isn't points where you know I don't particularly agree with some bits of it or don't appreciate some of it so, so I think it'll be an interesting one to discuss with both of you tonight. Definitely um, Rich from a fan perspective if we just concentrate on Burnley fans watching watching the docuseries um, it served I think as both a fantastic um, 
direct to look back on that championship season, which we all absolutely loved. And it was it was great watching those games and reliving those results and reliving those moments of glory, but also a very intimate look behind the scenes, which we as fans haven't necessarily been part of to before. Um, we'll get into the nitty gritty of whether that could have been more or less, but did you have that same sense of reflection, but also education? Yeah, it was really interesting. I've, we all want to know so much about our football club. We love our football club so much and we invest so much time emotionally, you know, financially as well. But yet we have hardly any control over it or hardly really any knowledge of actually what goes on. You know, we want new signings. We want this, that and the other. And I think it does give you a real indication of how challenging it is to run a football club. That's the indication I really got from it was, wow, the challenges that are involved on the financial side, the commercial side, the playing side, the stress that was on Alan Pace. My God, I've never seen anybody as stressed um, <laughs> as in, in my own life. And, you know, I think there's elements of Alan Pace which I do still slightly worry me, um, which I, I know we'll go into. But overall, he definitely won me over. I thought he came across as somebody who cares a lot, genuinely wants Burnley to do to do well. I think Let's not kid ourselves, ALK are in it to make money, of course, like like a lot of people are in, in business. But I, I really do think there's um, a long-term vision that they want to do to make Burnley a better football club and to leave it in a better place than where they picked it up. And I think we're starting to see, um, you know, to see that at the moment. And yeah, I think like what George was saying, it's just really cool to see Burnley on a Sky documentary. And there was... For, for, for me personally, I, I found it quite emotional and reflective mm. and there was a lot of pride um, in me watching that documentary and obviously seeing Burnley, you know, you know, uh, looked at and analysed so, you know, so well and, yeah. Okay, well, let's start there because um, I think it became very clear very quickly that this docuseries was going to very much focus on Alan Pace as a chairman and his team at ALK what drives them, what motivates them and what their plans are for the um, club going forward. And there's been some criticism among some fans, particularly those who haven't necessarily warmed to our board yet, that it was a PR piece and it was all about making Alan Pace look good. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that criticism is warranted. But from your perspective, George, we, you know, each episode focused on from an editorial perspective, each episode started by focus on an, an element of Alan Pace in his personal life. Um, it was um, fed in with moments in, in you know, news articles as well as happening in the country at any one time. And I, I think as a fan, did you want to see more of the playing side and the manager side or did you want to see the, the side of the board that was portrayed in the editorial cut? Well, this really, this really cuts down to the meat and bones of the series, I suppose, in that... The ambition of the Mission to Burnley documentary wasn't to provide a behind-the-scenes perspective of Burnley Football Club going after promotion in the Championship. It was very much a behind-the-scenes look at the ownership, um, at the management and how the management interacts with the owners um, on that more grand, uh, sort of ma macro level. Um, and I think you saw that in the first two episodes in particular where it was teeing up who Alan Pace was, who ALK yeah. Capital were how they interacted with company. And so for me, the series in some ways didn't get going until episode three. And I think episode three 
um, is a real high point. But I'd I'd come back to that point later in the later in this show. More more generally answering your question, yeah, as a fan, I would have loved um, an all or nothing style show on Burnley where you get to know the players, you get to really know um, company inside out, his family, you get to know what happens in the changing room, not just at one game against West Brom, but you get to see how that changing room dynamic uh, evolves over the course of a season. Now, that's absolutely not what we got here because that wasn't the intention of the documentary. And I believe you, there is there is a lot of justification for that. You know, they didn't want this series to be a new, another all or nothing. They didn't want it to be like Sunderland um, till I die. It is completely something different. And for that reason, I think it's incredibly successful in what it set, sets out to do. Now, as a fan, personally, I'd have preferred an all or nothing, but that doesn't mean I, I don't appreciate what they managed to achieve here because I do really think it's a, um, a solid four episodes of, of a TV show. And whether you're a Burnley fan or a, just a general football fan, I think there's moments to enjoy throughout. Yeah, I guess from your perspective, Rich, you've always been, you've always been, I think, in the middle with this. You've been very wary of ALK and the chairman and very aware that it's a completely different ownership structure um, and set of characters than we're maybe used to as a club, but also giving them the benefit of the doubt and giving them an opportunity to show what they can do. Did this change your mind at all, particularly when you're looking at how they ran with the finances and, you know, bringing, for example, when the, the, the JJ Watt investment came in and we saw a lot of behind the scenes of that. Did that give you any sense of comfort as a fan who was maybe slightly more cautious about their intentions or not? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to what your question was in a minute and kind of go to what George sure. was saying about the all or nothing. I really enjoy the All or Nothing documentaries. Obviously, the one about Tottenham, I thought was probably the best one. But would I want to be a Tottenham fan watching that? No, I wouldn't. No, because I think, and I think the way Netflix is, and I think, and I think the way it was edited, I think it made portrayed situations to be worse than they are. They made it to be more like a reality TV show rather than an actual football show. So. If we had an all or nothing Burnley, could they have edited it and could they have manipulated it so that it would have made it look like a reality programme? So I I definitely would have liked to maybe seen a little bit more about like the, the journey some of these young players had, say like a is signing from Belgium, you know, how he settled into the local area, the community, and you know, got that Morocco call up. That, you know, that that would have been amazing and about Cumbie's fam family and whatnot. But like George said, that wasn't the purpose of it. Going back to your question now, Natalie, um I, I, with Alan Pace, I was always sceptical about why he, why they took over. And there was a little line where one of his business partners said, um, you know, well, you said we were going to make loads of money um, in this. I knew you'd and listen, on that. And let's you not, I, I, you know, let's not beat around the bush. ALK are not, are all, I'm not saying are only in this, but a big reason that in this is to make money. And that is absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine. But one thing that you can clearly see is that Alan Page cares, and I think his yes. team genuinely care. Yes. I think, you know, there was that great scene at the end when he was cleaning tables for that really I pleasant that. lady. Um, so, um, you know, and, and I think that shows the type of guy he is. He cares. How emotional he is does worry me. I think there's an element of when you're in a job that he does, 
where you need to be calm, you need to be rational. And he's a million mile an hour and he gets up here and he seems like a very excitable character. So let's say in the, in the last week of the transfer window, will he make a rash decision? I don't know if anybody else picked up on it, but there was a moment where he was in the car driving and he was speaking to the finance directors like, wow, we've gone over budget, haven't, haven't we? And you know what? Nobody's mentioned it now. We've gone up. So that's still slightly... I don't want to be negative. Yeah, we're no, here to balance that. Yeah. That, you know, that does slightly concern me. But and we're going to come on to him in a minute. I think that's where Vincent Company is a special person because as soon as he walked into them board meetings, it was like a load of people who was panicking and everything. And company just sits down calmly. He rationalises, you know, say, for example, Lyle Foster. He rationalises why he signed Lyle Foster. And then the whole room calms down. He exits the building and then and then the whole meeting's calm. So that's one thing I do really like. But overall, I do like Alan Pace. I like ALK, I think, as a group of friends, which they are. They've got a really nice mm. dynamic, a really nice mix. But... Hopefully, as he gets a little bit more experienced, he does calm down a little bit and he doesn't work at a million mile an hour because we've all probably done it in our working career. When you're at a million mile an hour, you don't make the best decisions. But do you not, do you not think, though, and George, I'll come back to you in a minute because I know you've got a couple of points you wanted to add on to that as well, though. I think that's the benefit in business of having your team around you. And George and I have had the benefit of working with these people quite closely as well with the fan advisory board. And you can, you can sense that dynamic and you can sense where the spikes of enthusiasm are and the, who the daydreamers, not not the daydreamers, that's not right, who the dreamers are in the team and who want to reach for the stars and those who are the level headed ones. And I think as a group of businessmen, the balance between them is, is perfectly well. I don't necessarily I, I would feel confident as a fan to let Alan Pace go off and dream what he wants to do and be as daft as he wants and dream as big as he wants because there will be people in the club who he's put in place for that reason to just be a check and balance to say, you know what, great idea, but that's risky, so let's bring that back down. Um, sorry, George, you had a couple of things you wanted to add on to that. Well, I was just going to sort of back up Richard's point, actually, and one of the things that stood out for, from me from the from the whole series was that scene in the car where... Pace uh, phones up. I think it's it's Mike Michael Hunt um, who he phones up in the car and says, "Wow, we were. I think we we're only going to spend fifteen or twenty million, and we've we've spent twenty seven. Sort of, how's that happened? And you know that scene does give you a sense of, hang on, it's, it's meant to be you who's got, yeah, who's got who's got a hand how, on how, how's, yeah. how's this gone out of control? So I think there is elements like that uh, in it, which I think is justified to think, oh. And especially in the context of this summer, you know, our spending is nearing a hundred million. Um, obviously, you've got to you've got to preface <laughs> that with the fact that these transfer fees are paid over the length of the contract. It's not just gone out the bank this summer, but it's important to note. Now, one of the the big things I was going to raise to Richard's point was, I thought it was interesting listening to Russell Ball on the Turfcast podcast um, when he was on there this this week or last just a few days ago, and one of the big things he said which popped out to me, it, it sort of went under the radar, was the fact that Alan Pace had enormous editorial leverage over this show. Um, he said this didn't get the sign-off until Alan had his fingerprints on it. He, it. he was in a lot of control in terms of the editorial processes of it, how it came about, how, how it came across. So I do think there's merit to supporters who are saying it's just a fluff a fluff piece for, for, for LK for the owners of Burnley. And I do think there's justifications for that. And I say that as someone that 
you know me, you know, we've got links to the club with the Claret's Trust, myself and with the Fan Advisory Board. I'm not someone who's necessarily very much anti-ALK. I really do think they're doing the best for the club and I have a lot of trust in them. But I do think it's important to note that they did have control over over what came about. And so I think there is justifications to to fans who might see it as well. I don't know, it's just a, a fluff piece yeah. for them. So, you know, I do think it's important that we, we recognise that and say it's not just a, it's it does have a, it does have an angle to it. It does, but also I think that if you are a brand um, and you are going into a worldwide, almost a franchise of a worldwide brand that's got lenses on every single angle of it I think it's appropriate to do that as well I wouldn't necessarily have allowed of been happy with the warts and all I mean as a set of fans just this past couple of weeks we've faced scrutiny yet again for some of the more unsavory sides of, of the town and some of the um, attitudes and tolerance levels which are not yet where they need to be um, now that's not to say that we should shy away from those things and we shouldn't be glossing over where we are as a club, but I don't necessarily have too much of a problem with them having those rights. I don't think it necessarily means that what we've seen is fake. I think it's just, um, I think a lot of that can be down to just portraying the message that the board wants to deliver. Um, I think the only other thing that I would add on to yours, Rich, and I think when we talked about, you know, those, there was a couple of things for me with the, um, over enthusiasm of, of the board and it wasn't just a bit on the phone about oh we've gone over budget that coupled with the scene when they all looked like they looked in a stationary cupboard where they all secretly in a four of them going we're on the transfer embargo like how did this happen so there's just a couple of things where they've potentially taken their eye off the ball a little bit um but inexperience of running a club and experience of football management these are things that I don't expect to happen again and I think it would be I, I'd be very surprised if we didn't have things in our history as Burnley Football Club where other mistakes have been made and things, you know, you learn from your lessons. So the, the, the critical thing for me is to make sure those things don't happen again. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Rich, moving on then, one of the things that, that George has already touched on is that we did get to see the dynamic between Alan Pace and Vincent Company. It was very clear very early on that Company was absolutely Alan Pace's first choice and he wasn't necessarily entertaining um, any other ideas. 
um, we did get the bleeper button for the other two candidates who were on the shortlist. I think we can probably safely say that one of them was probably Chris Wilder, um, given that I think Alan Pay said it was, I think he said something like it's, it's too much like Sean. Um, I, th- I can't think of any other managers on that list who would be in that category. So I think um, I think that probably won't, but we didn't know who the others were. And I think, George, you said that you would have liked to have known, but it doesn't really matter. But seeing that relationship between the two of them and seeing companies' influence on the board, how lucky do you think we've been as a club to have two managers, Daesh was like this before company and company coming in now, who are experts technically on the field but do understand the business side of running a club and are able to competently hold their own in a boardroom i think you look back at burnley's history we've had a relatively low turnover of managers um especially in the last two decades compared to a lot of other clubs and i think if you hire the right manager undoubtedly you you know you're going to have more success on the pitch i think even you look back at the eddie Howe times i know it maybe didn't quite work out at burnley but I still think overall he signed some players that set us up, you know, for the Dice era. I'm going to go to Dice first. It really seemed like when Dice got sacked and when we got relegated, that was the proper start of the Page reign. I think yes. I, I, I don't know who that gentleman was, but there was a gentleman who was very kind of like positive and said, well, you know, now we've got relegated, Dice is gone. You can really put your stamp on things now. And I think that would, that's been a real positive. And I mentioned to you before about how calm company is. Vincent Company is an absolute special human being. He really is. He's somebody who can talk up to the board. He can talk down to the players as effectively. I think what what you've seen from company is this incredibly driven man with an unbelievable knowledge of football. And I think he wants to learn. Yeah. he, but he's still got them man, man management skills, them personable and them people skills, which is so important. I think in any, you know, in any walk of life, if you're not able to engage with people, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you've got. It's it, that knowledge is then useless. So company is is it is an outstanding person, and I think we'll look back at this time when when you know eventually when company does leave us and we'll go, wow, how how lucky are we? you know, to have company as manager. And what I like about him is he's not just going to the board saying, give me this money, give me that money, I need this player. He's very understanding of the situation with Burnley. He wants us to build long-term success as well, as well as what Alan Pace does. And I think, like I said, he, he understands the business model perfectly. And I think also Pace has the trust in him you know, and, and that's what you've got to say for play to Alan Pace. I've got a lot of respect. You know, when company and his teams come into him with players like Zaruri, Benson, Bettino, um, who, you know, Bayer, Alde Keel, who cost, or Foster, I think it's an important one that we'll mention. You know, still Alan Pace is still the one who has to sign off on those checks and he's given company full trust in that. Yeah. And you can see they have a really good relationship and a really good professional and working relationship and, um, like I said, I can't imagine there's that many managers and chairmen, you know, who have such a good understanding with each other. Yeah, and I think that was probably epitomised most, George, by the <clears> amazing <throat> snippet that we saw of, of Vincent Company telling the board what the transfer strategy needed to be and saying to them that every single year, every single summer, we need to be in a position where we have got two or three assets that we have available to sell to recover that money. And the players that come 
just ready to step up and step into their shoes. Um, and it's this idea that our players become our strongest asset, which we knew anyway, but that we're not just holding on to them, which is what our previous administration perhaps did. And certainly with the likes of James Tarkovsky and, 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 and uh, Nick Pope, we didn't get anywhere near the money we could have done for those. Um, the idea that actually you sell your players in their peak, but the next ones will be along and you'll fall in love with them. And that's uncomfortable as a fan because you want to see your players play for as long as you can. But it's so crucial when you take those heartstrings away from that discussion and realise that that's going to keep us up there for a very long time. Yeah, it ain't rocket science, is it? But I suppose in this context of American owners coming into football, uh, European football for the first time, it is important. And in terms of the financial fair play, we're spending, let's look, let's just call it Aaron Ramsey's going to join the club. We're spending 100 million this summer, <laughs> um, as we as we preface that with the fact it's going to be spent over a numerous amount of years. But we're spending 100 million. We need to bring in the profit over the next season or two yeah, to, to balance the books somewhat for, fi- for financial fair play. So we're not uh, accumulating the losses. That will see us get into a situation where Everton have been in the last couple of years. And where wolves are now, where they can't they can't sign anybody, and they're both they're they're both in Dickie's meadow this 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 season because of it. So you know it's really important that we that we don't fall foul of that. And you see through Vincent Company, he's got his head screwed on, and it was really impressive. Like like you mentioned in that first meeting he had with what I presume was the, the board of directors uh, and a few key investors, where he met them over over Zoom from Gorthorp, and he and he said, look, this is how we need to work. We need to be selling these assets. And you can already see it at play because whilst admittedly we've not sold anybody for any real money uh, this summer, um, we can see it in the way they've been recruiting, the players that they're signing. These new deals for Benson and Zorori, I'm under no illusions that they're going to be here for four or five years. Whether it's next summer or the summer after, they're going to be sold sold. for a very handsome handsome profit. But you've got the likes of Luca Corleoshaw now, who we've signed, you know, on the cheap, who might be the ones to come in and replace them. So, you can see that transfer strategy at play. And whilst it's absolutely awful as a fan, because I don't want to be the one to admit Zoro is going to be sold next summer, but it's just a, a fact of of life in football and in the Premier League. And I mean, just look at Brighton. Eh? Imagine if we could achieve just yeah. a, an inch of what Brighton have over the last couple of seasons. And you wouldn't have caught me saying that five years ago. No, Brighton have come out of nowhere and have become a blueprint for how to survive no actually not how to survive how to thrive in the premier league when you are not one of the powerful seven sides in 2023 and it's come out of nowhere and everybody's suddenly stepping up and i think that's one of the things that does fill me with um optimism about burnley and that when you see this documentary you realize that they're already putting plans in place for the next two or three years they're already thinking ahead and they will be that Burnley has the potential to be the next Brighton and that suddenly this model comes out of nowhere and this success comes that we've already been doing for five years and everybody else is suddenly backing that as well. Um, Rich, from your perspective, and I think this is this is a common, I'm not gonna say complaint, but a common wish for a lot of the Burnley fans watching the docuseries was that we wish we'd have seen more player development and more training and more of those personalities coming through the the little bits we did see in the dressing room were were really really great on the playing side rather than the business side yeah listen it would have been nice but I think George mentioned before the the actual kind of 
point of, of the programme wasn't was to look at ALK and the business side of Burnley Moore and how the manager interacted. Would it would it like I meant you know, I mentioned it at the beginning, wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if they focused on kind of like a senior player like Barnes who's been at the club, maybe like a Zaruri who'd come in and imagine if they followed Zaruri from like him signing to going to the World Cup. Uh, you know, to them finishing yeah. the season as as he as he did, but unfortunately, the documentary wasn't that way. You look at Sky did a sim, obviously done the documentaries with Salford, and you look at Salford, it it's more about the ownership and how the ownership interacts with the manager and how and how they run the football club. So, I just kind of took it as it was really and didn't try and think about what wasn't there. I just tried to enjoy what was there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do. I do get that. I, I think I would have I would have liked to I would have liked to I, I would have liked to see more about company at home and with his family and then yes. maybe about like Craig Bellamy and whatnot. But at the same time there's a part of me that I didn't want an all or nothing or a Sunderland documentary that would have turned into a reality TV show. No. I didn't I didn't I didn't want that personally. But it, it is possible to have that though. Um the the trend that set off the American love affair with um, British football, welcome to Wrexham. The, I thought that was a very good balance. We got to understand and get to know these Hollywood owners and really get to know those as individuals. But I know more about Wrexham players than I ever should have done. And I saw them in their family homes, particularly in the mm. early episodes with this season that they didn't get promoted and those players have got moved on. But I now look at a team sheet or watch Wrexham on the TV and I, and I know who their players are. So I, And I think that was a nice balance. Um, Sorry, George, you had your hand up then you wanted to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, I for one, I've never seen and never want to see the Welcome to Wrexham documentaries. I've got no interest in that. Oh, it's good. That. No, it's good. You should. It's good. No, it's, not, it's not for me, but I do I do think there is merit to what you were saying, Natalie, in that there, is, there, there can be a balance. And, and the reason... I know there could be a balance with this series was that they teased it in points. Now, I came away from episode one saying to myself, because I'd written notes after each episode. I have Jack, them here. Jack, Jack Cole, <laughs> Brown, Brownhill and Ashley Barnes will be fascinating characters throughout because I thought their characters would develop. They were, they were interjected in episode one and you thought, well, that's going to tee them up for something. And then at the end of episode two, you had Nathan Teller and Josh Brownhill coming from the two different sides of getting ready for the East Lancashire Derby. You had Nathan Teller, who had no idea what it was. And yeah. you had Brownell, a local lad who knew exactly exactly what it meant. And you had that different dynamic between them. But it was very quickly brushed over. And as Rich said, the Barnes story was completely brushed over. So there was moments where it shone through. I thought in episode one, Michael Jackson and uh, Paul Jenkins in particular were absolutely fantastic mm. in revealing what relegation would mean to Burnley. They showed they knew, which we, we all we all knew anyway, having listened to Michael Jackson when he was manager last season. So there was moments where it, it felt like it was breaking light on that kind of series. It just you knew it was never gonna get there. So look, whether that whether that's something that develops in series two, if it comes about, I, I would be I'd be interested in in well, that sort of development of the show. That's uh, that brings me very nicely to our final question of this podcast, George. It's almost like we do, it's almost like we prepare for these things. Rich, is there scope for a season two? And if so, what does that look like to you? Yeah, 100%. I think with Burnley being in the Premier League this season, I think there's, I think people are genuinely interested in, in, in Burnley now, whether they want us to succeed or want us to fail. I still think we're not the most popular club. 
And I think that's another aspect of wanting to do this documentary. I remember Alan Pace, when he first took over, said, oh, I want Burnley to be everyone's second team, which I still think we've got quite a long way to go. And kind of look at Brighton now. They are, maybe not George's, but they're probably a lot of other people's second team in the Premier League and just because they love the way they play. I definitely think the scope for season two. I'm sure uh, the producer who done the mission to Burnley will be listening out to the feedback of the podcasts that we've done and other podcasts and, and whatnot and probably thinking, right, OK, we can get a bit more snippets of the players. And I think once you're in the Premier League, I think another part of it as well is we want to see our players, but the paying public who maybe don't have a clue who some of these yeah, players true. are, are they actually going to be interested that much? Like you said, like the Wrexham players and you wanted to get to know them and that's great. But maybe when, when, we, when, we, are in the prem, when we are in the Premier League more and like I said, play, you know, pl- football players, they are like soap stars. You know, they're just these people who we see on our telly once or twice a week. And people are really interested to get to know them more. And, oh, my God, Ashley Bards. Oh, he shops at Asda. Oh, I thought he'd shop at Tesco kind of thing. Like, they're kind of like your old school teachers when you don't imagine them to have normal lives, isn't it, really? Um, So, yeah, I definitely think there's scope for a new one. Um, but if there is a new one, I hope we don't get relegated again. So don't. Oh think I no, I, no, I'm definitely not. <laughs> uh, George, final thoughts from you then before we wrap up. I I'll just end on my biggest positive, and it's it answers your question somewhat, Natalie. And that I do think there is a scope for episode. Uh, sorry, a series two, because to me, the first two episodes of this series were I'm not going to say wasted, but used entirely to tee up the story of who Burnley are, who companies mm-hmm. who ALK are. The first two episodes for me were entertaining as a Burnley fan, but it's episode three, which I think is by far and away the highlight of this series and goes to show where it can flourish in a second series because you really got down to the nitty gritty. You had company revealing that it takes 120 training sessions and 100 meetings for his teams to to really gel within a season. So about January, February time, which is uh, important to note for this season. Then you also had company in the tactical meetings testing the players where he was asking like Samuel Bastian like about uh, West Brom's tactics to make sure he was still listening, engaged. So you're having all this behind the scenes and it really led up to the West Brom game. You had companies team talk before the game with loads of F-bombs. You had Barnes talking to the team as well. You had Twine's winner. And then after the game, you had celebrations in the, in the dressing room. So look, for me, episode three was the unbelievable high point of, of this series. And I do think it's a stellar bit of television. And for me, that's where it can move forward in a, in a second series. And that is all we have time for. Um, we have reviewed Mission to Burnley in our first thoughts of that. Let us know what you think, listeners. Did you watch Only One Go? Did you enjoy it? Did you think it could be improved? Do you have any concerns? You know how to get in touch with us. You can drop us a line on Twitter. Now, X or whatever it is that the cool kids are saying. Um, you can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at podcast at net. We will be back before the weekend with our preview show as normal, looking ahead to that game against Villa. Um, and we'll be in touch the week after with our reaction to that very game. Um, in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed Mission to Burnley and this podcast as much as we did making it. I've been Natalie Bromley. Until next time. The Known and Ever podcast is brought to you in association with the TalkSport Fan Network. Our host and editor is Natalie Bromley and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. 
The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Rich Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby and Adam Dennett. Our music is provided by George Gaskell and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonenever.substack.com. Thanks as ever go to our partners, TalkSport. We are proud to be associated with the TalkSport fan network. The TalkSport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.